it's easy to forget that you hold such a place in a neighbourhood like East Brunswick because you get caught up in running the business and, and keeping things going. And, you know, I remember when we emerged from the long lockdown, which I think was the second one, and I saw the amount of bookings come in. I, I just burst into tears because it was just so moving to think that, oh my God, we've just opened and that's it. The bookings have just come flooded in. Today on Dirty Lemon, we are going to have a little bit of a celebration, a bit of a reminisce, a bit of a look back and a look forward. Our guest today is Joseph Abood from Rumi Restaurant in Brunswick and Rumi is celebrating a very special anniversary this week. Joseph, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks for having me, Danny. Tell us what birthday you're celebrating. 15. That is pretty great. I remember when Rumi opened. I can't believe it was 15 years ago. I can't believe that Carlton hasn't won a premiership in the intervening years. Um, <laughs> but that is an amazing milestone. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a lot of uh, sort of shows our age a bit, doesn't it? Uh, well, I mean, it just shows what a great thing it is that you created there for the community and for your family in Brunswick. Tell us uh, what it means to you. Uh, well, gee, it's a hard question. It's so much has happened uh, in the 15 years. So, you know, uh, I wasn't married and I didn't have any kids when we opened it. And, you know, Nat, who's my wife now, was just my girlfriend. And uh, things kept on going from there. And now we have three sons who only know that Rumi is in their life. Yeah, that's pretty special. So for people who don't know the restaurant, tell us a little bit about it. So it's, uh, you know, always been hard to to label. Do you call it new Middle Eastern food or contemporary Middle Eastern food? But, you know, we we opened with the idea that we would uh, serve Middle Eastern food in a slightly more contemporary setting and just with a, a little bit of a fresher take on some things. Not everything needed to be... Uh, have a twist on it and, and be somehow modernised, but uh, just a, a real sort of a fresh approach to what we we're doing. You know, I, f- I felt that there was a fair bit of sort of tired Middle Eastern food around. It had been often sort of a takeaway food or a cheap food, and, and we just tried to uh, give it that little bit more respect. So, I mean, there are dishes that you're doing now that you've done right from the start, yeah? Yeah, for sure. So what are some of the real roomy classics? Uh, so, you know, the, the, the purest and, and, you know, the, the one that goes straight to the heart straight away is, is, is the labne. So, you know, we, it's a very simple thing, strained yogurt, and it's, it's very commonly available. But we make our own yogurt every day. So we do about 20 litres of yogurt every day. Uh, it's still one of the most satisfying things that you start with milk and by the end of the day you pop the lid on it and you smell this beautiful sweet yogurt that uh, has a beautiful tartness to it and, and over time it takes on uh, I suppose the the yeast of the environment and, and it becomes something unique to to Rumi in this in this case and uh, so that's that's a dish that or it's a, it's a dip you know that, that goes on on the menu and it's just such there's no cucumber in it there's no mint in it it's just beautiful homemade yogurt uh hung for a couple of days on a plate with some fresh australian olive oil and served with flatbread and that's 
that's just to me that's the best way to start the first time i ate at rumi myself it was the first thing i put in my mouth and i still I still remember that day uh our our persian meatballs have been on uh since day one you know they're, they're a recipe that's made with with rice uh rather than a sort of breadcrumb or an almond meal or anything like that so they're really soft and uh soft and, and tender and you know my my middle son i reckon can eat about eight of them uh he, he's he's already flagged that his next <clears throat> his next birthday at Rumi, which is the standard everyone all the kids come to Rumi for their birthday so uh they he he wants two plates of meatballs and two plates of potatoes. So, <laughs> um, and fried cauliflower has been on on since the start. Which you know we fry it quite dark. Uh, people still return it occasionally, saying this is this is burnt. But you know when you fry it dark like that, you really get that beautiful bittersweet um, vegetable flavour, and then you know the creamy inside. Uh, and that's that's been on uh, since the start. Uh, yeah, they're, they're three sort of main dishes that have seen their time through, and each sort of year you get a new you get a new dish that if you took off you probably have a riot out the front. <laughs> well, I love to hear that your regulars are so invested in the restaurant. It certainly is that kind of place. I mean, you, that the owners go there for their birthday celebrations really says something about it. It's just a place that um, people just always want to go back to. Um, so, Joseph, you didn't. I mean, I, I love hearing you talk about the food and just this real prominence that you give to single ingredients, you know, the, the yogurt, the cauliflower. Um, but, you know, you, you trained in, you know, really serious fine dining restaurants and worked in, you know, some restaurants that were really had different projects. Tell us a bit about your background and then how you sort of were able to let that go to do something like Rumi. Right. Um, so uh, I should be on a couch for this, shouldn't I? You know, like lying, lying, <laughs> lying back, having my, my uh, monthly session. Definitely. I think our production notes should say, now lie back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, the, the sort of fork in the road for me was working at a restaurant called Est Est Est, which was run by uh, Donovan Cook and Philippa Sibley. This was 1998, 99, I think it was, around, around then. Um, and uh, we, I, I had no idea what, what fine dining restaurants were all about. I'd been to Jacques Raymond and uh, it was the first time I'd ever eaten in a fine dining restaurant and it really blew my mind. And I tried to get a job there and I couldn't. And then somebody said, go and check out this place and so I knocked on the door and Donovan answered and anyone who knows Donovan you know he's not a man of too many words and he just said what do you want and I said I want to work here and he said there's no jobs come back in a few months so I came back in a few months and um, he sort of said really there's nothing but come in and do a day if you want and see what it's like and uh, it was the most intense and uh, frightening experience I've ever had in my life I think it was so uh, full on and, and foreign to me that, you know, the next time I went back for a second trial, you know, played some really loud music in the car before I got out and really tried to psych myself up. And as soon as I got in the door, I was pretty much floored in about a minute when somebody asked me to do something that I had no idea what to do. I mean, what are you, what are you talking about? Like what happened? What was going on in there? Uh, it's, uh, 
it was the intensity was was something that you know so the the music was always pl- played at you know so loud that you really couldn't hear each other speak or think and just the standard that everybody worked at was something i'd never experienced before uh before or, or before or or since that time i've it's the only place i've worked at where it was you're you're an est now there's there is no the reason you're doing this properly is because you're an est and there was never a that'll be okay or and i've never and i've worked in some other good places but never had that it it's okay it, it'll be okay to send or so the standard was so high that uh it just blew my mind and and, and it was so taxing you know it was about 15 hours a day and um yeah it was just that that whole experience was so intense and really the fork in the road and changed everything that i've i've done done since so i mean what do you take from an experience like that where it was just cooking at such a high level that real striving for perfection what do you take from there into yeah what did you take forward uh a an ability to work under extreme pressure and very fast. That was, <laughs> that was the, uh, probably the biggest, the biggest thing. Um, and just that standard knowing. So, you know, to this day, I know when something is not at the best standard um, and uh, you, you, you just try, you try and push towards that. And, and there's been different, times in in my life and through the life of Rumi where that standard has you know um been up or down or you know life has had different priorities or various things and but you know knowing the difference is definitely um puts you on the path I think to maintaining maintaining a standard I suppose that's contributed to Rumi being around 15 years because despite some some low points or some points where I haven't been very happy with it you because you know the difference you come back up and you 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 tighten things up again and and you get it back on track mm. so Joseph you've shepherded your flagship restaurant through the pandemic um, such as it's been so far but you've also said goodbye to a much loved restaurant um, recently and that was Bar Saracen one of my absolute favorite places of all time in the city tell us about that um that's a hard one that that it sort of struggled from from day one really it just never quite uh got the runs on the board that it needed to sustain itself financially and um, things started to sort of change a little bit at the start of 2000 and what was it, 19? Is that when the pandemic came? Yeah, what, yeah, 2020. Oh, uh, yeah, 2020. So, uh, and then we got hit with the pandemic and, and uh, every time you refreshed your page, bookings disappeared and um, it, and we sort of, hobbled through doing some takeaway and various things online and then we reopened and then we got closed again. And when I came back after that, um, I remember it was, we were trying to reopen. We'd just employed a new front of house manager, Georgia, who has a really um, 
beautiful way with wine, really, really impressive taste in wine. I, I think we were really looking forward to that and we thought it was another piece of the puzzle that came together to sort of keep Saracen going forward. And I remember that I was listening to maybe even your podcast <laughs> and uh, cleaning the restaurant rather than engaging with her and motivating her for what we needed to keep going. And at that point I knew something was wrong and that I'd just been too burnt by what had happened and it was too much. And basically we, well, I tried my best to do what I could to change my mindset and, and I, ju I just couldn't. And it felt like some sort of, I don't know, I described it as a, as a, a business depression. It was like, I'm, I'm assuming it's something that, that's burnout, how people describe being burnt out, but I just couldn't, I just didn't have what it took to lead, lead, lead the team. And uh, that's probably something that I felt during the pandemic that I don't think that I was the best leader I could have been. I just didn't have it in me. It was too stressful and too, um, too gut-wrenching and I was a, a little bit too exposed. I had, you know, I was involved still with Maud's Head in Thornbury, which uh, I've since sold my share to a long-term staff member, which is uh, a good ending on that one. Um, but just to be exposed on all those different areas and and knowing that Saracen just hadn't made money since, since basically since it opened, uh, it was just too much. Oh, it's so sad. I can just really feel the weight of that. Yeah. <laughs> I can too now. <laughs> yeah, so that's um, – and then I'm sure anyone listening that has made the decision to close a restaurant, it's really intense. It's a really horrible feeling, especially once you sort of weigh up what you do. In fact, I'm, I'm here right now uh, by chance cleaning up because we're trying to break our lease and, and – negotiate with the landlord as to how we can do that. Oh, you really, I mean, what does that feel like to be in the space, Joseph? Uh, it's, it's been a while now, but it, it very, very mixed emotions. I'm, I'm sadly, I'm glad that I don't have to, I, you know, I said to someone the other day, I'm so glad that I'm not negotiating two restaurants now during another lockdown, you know, it was, it's one thing to to have shut roomy and reopened and what have you, and uh, we sort of do that fairly easily with takeaway and being in the suburbs is a little bit easier. But I'm I'm sort of glad I didn't have to um, wind down another, you know, Saracen again for another lockdown. So I just find that really interesting that you could sort of have this compartmentalized depression where you're you don't have the energy to get. Saracen through, but Rumi was sort of ticking along. I mean, is it as simple as ones in the suburbs and the takeaway worked better? I suppose it was more established. I mean, or I mean, what is that? Is it just like you've got to put your energy somewhere and you can't spread it? Like, how do you sort of look at it? Well, that so that was it. basically it, it was a scenario where one restaurant was so quiet that it was killing us, and one restaurant was so busy it was killing us. You know, Rumi reopened after the restrictions with an incredible bang and it was busier than it, it has, it still is busier than it ever has been. Um, which is partly 
so uh, this was part of the decision process was that I can't keep sacrificing uh, my attention to Rumi for for something that is you know has been hasn't been making any money or you know running properly for for years so that was part of the reason why I had to make that decision and um, even though we were able to get through to Christmas with a really busy period at Rumi that um, that in a in a those inner workings that, that feeling of of sort of being wiped out was was definitely still there. I don't get it. Like, what was it about Saracen that didn't hit? Because I loved it so much. Like, you had um, Tom Serafian, one of the most talented chefs in the country, doing really beautiful, sensitive food there. It was just a cool place. And everyone that I know loved it. So, do me and my friends just like the wrong places? I mean, what what's the story? Uh, look, I think that's part of the that's part of the that that stress that I'm talking about. You know, spending you know three years it was in the end trying to work out what to do better. What what do we have to do to um, to get the runs on the board, so to speak? What you know what what has to change um, and working towards that. And then I suppose at a point where we thought maybe things were rolling um, to be shut down that way, I think it just, uh, it, it took, took too much out of me. And there's definitely a feeling that I'm glad I don't have to think of ways to make it work anymore because because especially when, you know, as you've expressed, and we're in no way claiming that it was, you know, uh, a flawless restaurant, but, you know, what, what do you change? You know, what, what, was, what was wrong? You know, it was very hard to keep finding things that were wrong when it didn't feel that there was necessarily, you know, you could improve, you can always improve. Whether it's about what was wrong is a different story. Yeah, so interesting and, and pretty heartbreaking. Um, I mean, when was it actually that it closed? Uh, It closed the end of January this year. Okay. So, because, I mean, I was there, I think, the second last night and I reckon I'm always going to remember it because it was one of those out of lockdown, things are starting to feel normal. It was just overexciting to do anything and go anywhere. And um, I, I went, you know, even though my job is to eat at restaurants, I'm actually a bit disorganized about it. So I hadn't booked and just went on spec and there was obviously nowhere to sit. But Tom just put a few dishes over the pass for my husband and me. And it was just, it was so exciting and fun. The food was so delicious. Um, and it was a full restaurant. It's just like, why? It was one of those crazy things that it's like as soon as you announce that you're closing, everyone wants to come and <laughs> come and eat. So, um, yeah, that was uh, see, and and you know, I hadn't I hadn't been able to make uh, make it here for any any services basically because, as you have sort of uh, well documented there aren't many staff around and so I was back in the kitchen full time at Rumi and there was just no no getting off early from there because it was so busy 
And so I actually, the first time I, I came back to Saracen was the end of the closing night after I got out of service at, at Rumi. Wow. Yeah. That's just, yeah, really crazy in itself. That must, um, yeah, because, I mean, for a while you hadn't been hands-on in the kitchens at, at your restaurants. Um, I mean, what did that feel like for, you know, a staffing shortage to send to get you back there and I mean was it also like so many hospice families it's like the, the kids are shelling peas and one's on the one's at the sink like has it been like that for you guys yeah it has so 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 Nat's back in the kitchen she's wow uh, yeah she's back in there uh doing the prep every day and so she goes in in the morning and, and I go in the afternoon and uh my 75 year old dad goes in and cleans all the whiskers off the school prawns and uh, Malachi, the oldest son, is, uh, gets in and he sort of helps out on the fryer or the dishes wherever he can go and um, never forgets to sign off because he definitely wants that little pay packet that he gets. At the- <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he always leaves in the thick of things and says, Dad, have you got a pen? I'm like, what for? Got to sign off. <laughs> so uh, that, that's, been really, that's been really great to uh, have that and, and sort of go back to basics in a way. And it, it's been a really good, um, uh, it's been quite, uh, is the word cathartic, I think, you know, to, to, to be back in the roomy kitchen where it all began and, and uh, build a new team and have the family back involved and, you know, um, yeah, that, that's that's been really good, and and yeah, like like you sort of pointed out, it's it's a bit of a common story. But you know, we we lost so much during the lockdown that um, we just needed to get back in, and we still need to be there and make sure that we protect something that is that's been pretty uh, important to our lives and our family. And and I think what was um, what's been quite flattering is is to the neighbourhood. You know, we. It's easy to forget that you hold such a place in a neighbourhood like East Brunswick, because you know you sort of you get caught up in running the business and and keeping things going. And um, you know, I remember when we emerged from the long lockdown, which I think was the second one, um, and I saw the amount of bookings come in. I, I just burst into tears because it was just so moving to think that oh my god we've just opened and that's it the bookings have just come flooded in and yeah absolutely that's that's the you know so no you know having that experience is definitely something that uh has helped settle settle myself anyway over over the last few months i mean it's it's really interesting looking back on your last 15 years because I mean you had you opened the first restaurant but then over the over time you opened a couple of pizza places you even had a place on my side of town which I know was a bit of a nightmare for you um and you went into beer like you had a share in a brewery and then you had the city restaurant and you know you're a bit you're a bit more of a restaurateur hey like a bit more entrepreneur and always had different things on the go and here you are again with your dad like taking the whiskers off the prawns in the in the one restaurant i mean what do you reckon uh uh there's 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 lots that i reckon i think um 
I'm glad that I had the opportunity to give those things a go. Um, I think things have changed quite a bit and opportunities are a little bit harder now. I think the the barrier to entry, I think, is a little bit firmer to getting into whether it be, you know, beer or um, even to restaurants. I, I think there's a, a competition level and a standard that is, is so high now that uh, to start as a little guy and try and do those things is pretty hard. So I'm, I feel pretty fortunate to have been able to give those things a go. Uh, some things have worked. Some things haven't worked. Um when they don't work, uh, the the impact is is pretty pretty big, and uh, especially in a restaurant, you can lose money so fast that it's pretty frightening. Uh, I don't think I need to sort of mention any numbers in particular, but you know, opening up uh, Morshead over in in Elstonwick was a that was a big sort of um, wrong turn, I suppose, for us. Uh, and yeah, so that so so fortunate to have been able to to try those things because a lot of people don't even have the chance to to try those things. But uh, also having a bit of a reckoning that I don't think that I had the infrastructure to be able to do those things effectively either. So, and I think there's a few people that opened restaurants around the time that Rumi opened that have maybe tried similar things and I don't think there's too many of us that uh, have done it that successfully. Um, I think there's a level of professionalism and, and infrastructure that you have to have in place to enable those things to, to happen successfully. Mm. And, I mean, you're probably still feeling a bit burnt and tender by everything that's happened, but do you feel like... This, you're you're going to be a one restaurant guy from now on, or are there sort of other plans bubbling away? Uh, th- there's always there's always you know a, a motivation, ideas, various things that pop up. I I suppose you know I'd be moving a lot more carefully uh, compared to what what I may have done in in the past. You know, I was, I was prepared to sort of uh, just give anything a go and and really. Um, uh, not just try my luck, but really put the put the effort and put the energy into it, and and also run the risk. And I think as you get a bit older, and um, as your kids grow up, you sort of maybe for for me anyway, that risk factor um, is a little bit less attractive. Uh, you know, to to think to to do things where you would be set back, you know, almost a square one, would be. Uh, I think too too big a risk for me to to handle now. So uh, I would be treading very carefully. With the one project that has been weighing on on my mind for a long time is that Rumi's lease is pretty much up, and uh, they're going to develop the site. Uh, so Rumi has to uh, move or or not, and that's probably the uh, the thought that is in my mind most most days, and and uh, always on the lookout for. Uh, you know the the alternative site, or um, you know, and then there's a, there's the very real uh, decision to make, which is you know, is it would it would it be time to retire the restaurant and you know I don't know have a break. It's pretty intense running a restaurant. <laughs> well, what would you do though? 
No, that's that that's the part of the, <laughs> that's the part of the thought process that then brings you back to I better find another site. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm guessing it's not going to be in the city, and it's definitely not going to be in Elstonwick. Um, so you're going to have to keep looking around Brunswick. Well, I think if Brunswick feel, if Brunswick East thinks that there's a chance they're not going to have Roomy, then I reckon they'll find a site for you. Yeah, right. Maybe someone listening might uh, might have a new building going up that wants a restaurant in there. Yeah, well, it would be well, – there's a lot of restaurants. Whenever there's a development, there's always a restaurant and they're not, they're not always fantastic. So <laughs> They're always selling it as a, you know, that's the cure-all, isn't it? You know, put a restaurant in the bottom and, and everything else will be fine. Joseph, obviously nobody knows how to do a pandemic, um, but you said that you weren't quite the leader that you wanted to be. Uh, what kinds of, like, how do you sort of reflect on that? Are there things that you, like, a, is there a different energy you wish you'd brought to it or other strategies? I mean, how do you reflect on that? Um, I don't I don't really know how to answer that. Uh I don't know. I think leadership is, I think that's why there's so many, you know, um, books about it and articles about it. I think it's very hard to articulate and, and I just know uh, that, you know, I wasn't at my best during during that period and, and listening to some other uh, guests that you've had on your show that, uh, you know, some people just handled it better. To, were, more, were more proactive, I suppose, is probably uh, the probably the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I was, yeah, I, I didn't feel very proactive during that period. Mm, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, there's so much pressure on a business owner because it's such uncharted waters, and nobody really knows you know, what's about to happen. And I suppose, yeah, a lot of people did, you know, yeah, did things. But I guess closing a business is an, is an action as well. I mean, it's... Absolutely, yeah. And given that you went in with that business, it was a bit behind the eight ball anyway, I guess, you know, it's a it's a, such a tough decision to make that call. But, yeah, I mean, it's a brave decision too. As you say, like you don't want to still have, you wouldn't want to have it right now, hey? No, no, would. Uh, and I suppose coming back to what I said about not having the infrastructure in place, I think that's. Um, so I was, I was so, so stretched that you know it was you know the rubber band broke when the lockdown happened the first time round, and I think uh, yeah to have to be running multiple sites or multiple businesses, you need certain infrastructure in place um, that enables you to, you know, not be running around picking up takeaway containers or, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, Because when you're doing all of that as well as making the decisions, uh, something's got to give. Mm. Um, I mean, you've had such great people cook in your businesses um tell us a bit about your approach to i guess nurturing talent and training people and you know how you decide how much room to give people i'm, I'm thinking of people like jenna avritsazi and tom serafian 
two incredible chefs that have um, come through your restaurants in particular. But, yeah, of course, there are many others. Yeah, so um, it's interesting because Rumi's sort of uh, dotted with, you know, bits of chefs that have come and gone. And, uh, you know, one of the guys said to me the other day that um, they're just so grateful for having the room to grow uh, and that's been something that I've um, really enjoyed over the years. I think it's a it's a real uh, win-win scenario where the chefs get that autonomy and and I get that little bit of headspace and a little bit of freedom to uh, not have to make every every decision. And so, um, you know, I, I find that you know if you if you have the right people in place, then you can you can you can trust those things and and you know when someone first starts uh you you sort of push things a little bit and you you know you you poke and you prod and you and you see what the response is and and when uh you're happy with the response then um you you know i i've felt that all right well if if that's the response to these certain questions or you can even call them tests you know what um they, they must be thinking the right way. And, you know, J- Jenna, for example, I remember the time where once she sort of made the connection between the way her grandmother cooked, some of the, some of the techniques that her grandmother used and some of the things that we were trying to do at Rumi, once she connected to that, um, I knew that that, that was a, a real sort of a, um, a hurdle that we had to get over. And once she, she saw that, you know, I could trust her with with running the kitchen in, you know, making those decisions in the kitchen. And I say trust, not, you know, it's probably maybe even a little bit condescending because it's not that they would not do the right thing, but it's more about working uh, to what what you need it to be. And I suppose when you have a place, when when you're the owner of a restaurant, you always need to keep a, a sort of an overarching vision that you're happy to have or, or that you're happy to guide people through and so that's um yeah I, I think that accepting and it didn't take me much to accept that uh people in your kitchen are quite possibly or most likely as good or better than you are because you have so much other stuff to think about or various other reasons then they're probably in a better position to make those calls than than you are yourself and I remember saying to people that you know the the food at Rumi got better the day I stopped cooking and they thought that was <laughs> a bit strange but you know when you're cooking and you're your your head's in in the food so to speak you don't have time to assess what else is going on but when you sort of remove yourself from there and um be able to watch what's going on and give feedback to the guys that are looking after the kitchen. That's, um, that's where I think we really had that, uh, um, opportunity to sort of keep on developing the food or keep on developing the restaurant. Mm. I mean, it's so interesting because now of course you are in the kitchen, but I can only imagine that with just the one kitchen to focus on that you must be, and it must be, it must be amazing to, be able to bury yourself in that a bit and I can only <laughs> I really have a strong suspicion that there is a lot of heart and soul in the food right now uh yeah look and, and I think that's um 
what I do best. I've I've learned about myself, and uh, you know, I think uh, to use your word, entrepreneurs maybe uh, need to have more than just heart and soul that they plow into things. So um, that's coming back to that infrastructure and that and those that um, that know how you know, rather than just being able to work your gut out and and really make that impression on things yourself. I think there needs to be a broader uh, understanding of of the way the business is run and, and, but I'm definitely enjoying, like you said, uh, you know, putting the heart and soul into as much as we can. And, um, yeah, I think the, the restaurant is benefiting from it and it feels pretty good to be able to, um, yeah, to be back there where, where it all began. That's so great. So Joseph, as I slowly let you get up from the couch, is there, um, anything else that you'd like to say? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I think you, you do a very good job of uh, covering it. And, you know, I I, uh, I want to thank you for uh, inviting me on. I know we tried to make it happen a little while ago, but I don't think I was in the, the right mood to to uh, talk much about it. And um, you, you've been great, you know, for I think for the, the whole industry and it's it's no surprise that you're you're the one that's come through with with the the help and the the voice for for our our industry. So so thanks to you, Danny. Um, thank you. We can cut that out, but I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> uh, well, happy fifteenth birthday to you and to Nat and to the boys and to the the whole family and all the crew there. It's just such an important restaurant for Melbourne. Um, I cannot wait to come back. I can actually. I can feel the texture of the meatballs as I think about them um, and that kick in the love nay, just absolutely beautiful. Um, and, look, thank you also for Bar Saracen, um, which, uh, you know, it'll always have its perfect little jewel box um, shape and memories in my mind. Um, I Yeah, I'm just glad it existed even though it couldn't persist. Um, Sometimes those, those uh, you know, short and sharp flames are – you know, they're good in their own right. Totally. They really can burn so bright. Um, all right. Well, so lovely to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely uh, chat when Carlton has a win. <laughs> yeah, hopefully before then. <laughs> Could be waiting a while. It's good that we had a, we had a buy this week, so it's, uh, it's a week we don't have to worry about the uh, stress of them losing again. I know. It was so relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take Thanks, care. Danny. Thank you. You too. Bye. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.